Hey everybody, and hello humans. This is Not A Robot's comic review show. Today we're gonna to be looking at some of the recent releases that have come out in the past couple weeks um, from various different- Hey everybody, and hello humans. This is Not A Robot's comic review show. Today we're gonna to be looking at some of the recent releases that have come out in the past couple weeks um, from various different publishers such as uh, Image and Dark Horse and others. Um, my name is Brandon, and today I've got my amazing co-host here with me, Julie. Hello, I'm Julie. We're here to summarize, analyze, and editorialize every issue we cover without worrying what the publishers think. Uh, we are on Twitter at NotArobotComics. Um, we answer all show mail sent to NotArobotComics at gmail.com. The next part is dedicated to those that support us with their hard-earned money. But that's not the only way you can. Like, subscribe, download, and share our episodes as much as possible. It helps get the word out, and that's the best kind of advertising. Now is the time to say a big thank you to the humans who help us support the podcast. They subscribe to our Patreon, with tiers starting at just $1 a month, so that we can make sure to keep bringing you more content. This is the Not A Robot Must Be A Human shout-out and roll call. And that shout-out goes to our humans, Weird Science Jim, Blue Mondays, Hollister, and Roch Crockett. A big salute to all of you and an even bigger thank you. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now and show us you just might be a human after all and get a shout out on the Not A Robot Must Be A Human roll call. Uh, now before we begin, uh, Julie, is there anything going on with you this week that's, uh, that's new that you'd like to share? Um, I got my second vaccine shot and awesome. I am super tired. <laughs> 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 that's fair yep when uh, uh when did you get it uh yesterday oh okay and have you been feeling any side effects or are you just you know kind of feeling the same way you usually do just a little more sore and tired than usual but i mean with the first yeah. shot it was much worse i was laid out for taking a nap for 12 hours <laughs> oh yeah no i'm sure yeah no my um my dad is getting his second shot today um, and I told him basically, you know, like if you're super tired, um, I'll just send you a text instead of calling you tonight. Um, just cause I, I, I get that sometimes the, the effects can be pretty severe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's good. At, at least, at least you're fully vaccinated at this point. Yeah. I can go around. It's the, the, the idea in my head was sort of like, yeah, no, I totally get that. Um, as for me, it's uh, it's it's a very relaxed day um, here where I am. Very sunny, so um, everyone's out enjoying the weather, which is always nice to see. Um, so I, I was kind of doing that a little bit earlier before we recorded. I was telling Julie I, I almost forgot that we had our session today, um, and I'm you know I'm, I'm definitely eager to get back out there because it's a, it's a really gorgeous day. Yeah. Um, but. Without any further ado, let's get into this week's review. So today, we're going to be covering uh, the two of us, just two books um, from Image, um, and then we're going to kind of split off into a, a separate um, review session where each of us are going to be mentioning some books that we had the opportunity to read um, that uh, maybe we both didn't get to read, but that we'd still like to share and reflect on and that sort of thing. Um, so to get us started, um, we are going to look at Geiger number one. Julie, would you like to walk us through Geiger number one? Geiger number one, well, for me, felt like the game Fallout, but more story-driven. 
Yeah. Because it kind of starts off, you think you're on some planet somewhere, and then mm-hmm. as it transitions into the uh, the time of where the things happened, I'm getting a lot of Fallout 4 vibes. Yeah. <laughs> and then once all the rest of that happens, it's very... Um, very very survival what's that genre it's just survival genre i guess but i really did like a little bit of the intimidation tactics when the the main character did mm. i'm already you know rooting for the main character in this in this particular yeah, yeah, case yeah for sure and it's it's interesting to see him as kind of like this family man who's really just really focused on this goal of you know protecting um those closest to him yeah um, definitely and, uh, and and do you want to tell us who brought us this issue? Uh, Image Comics, for sure. Um, let me look at the details. I literally, literally clicked away from it. Uh, creators are Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Colorist is Brad Anderson. Letters by Rob Lee. Nice, nice. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, Geiger was a really solid start, and... Um, for any Image Comics fans, for any independent comics fans who may be familiar with Jeff John's work uh, at DC, um, and he's definitely well known for runs on Flash and Green Lantern, uh, most recently Doomsday Clock with Gary Frank, as well as Batman Three Jokers. Um, Jeff is certainly uh, very well connected in the world of superheroes. So I think for me, um, one of the more exciting aspects of this project was to see him kind of strike out on his own and create a world for himself. Um, Because when you're doing superhero comics, there's kind of that uh, comfort blanket of, you know, you're in someone else's universe, you can kind of rely on continuity and all that stuff. But, you know, when you're creating a world for yourself, it's really all coming from you. You kind of have to figure out how you want to define certain things and um, really world build on your own. Um, So it's it's interesting to see Jeff's approach. I think definitely one standout for me was the artwork by Gary Frank, um, who is an absolutely phenomenal artist. Um, again, mostly collaborates with Jeff on DC projects um, and a couple things at, at Marvel, but it's, it's really interesting to see him kind of outside of his wheelhouse doing a book at Image. So um, I definitely agree. This was a, it was a really solid read. So at the end, Julie, what would you rate this issue? Probably a nine. Mm-hmm. Definitely a nine out of ten. Just because I'm not certain that what well, that little one tick is definitely uncertainty about where this story is going to head to, because it is yeah. kind of a classic trope of you know a protectorate, you know fighting for you know this family. But other than that, I'm pretty look. I'm looking forward to it as well. Also, the end of it. A lot of uh, Fallout New Vegas vibes meets Futurama. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I'm like, wow, this this guy must have played Fallout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think there's also some definitely some Mad Max influence just in the the desert wasteland as well. Yeah, that's um, true. And I know. I think Jeff mentioned that that was uh, a a key influence. Um, but yeah, no, I I gave this issue a strong 8.5 out of 10. A very solid debut for uh, this creative team. I'm interested to see where it goes next. Um, I'm hoping it's not just a, a limited series. I would like to see this go on for, for a little bit more than six issues or so. Um, but you know, if that's the finite story you want to tell, by all means, uh, tell a, a great one. So 
Geiger number one, definitely check it out. Um, the next issue that we both had a chance to read is The Silver Coin. Uh, this is a new horror anthology um, featuring a revolving cast of writers and one consistent artist, uh, that being Michael Walsh. So for this particular issue in question, um, this issue was written by uh, Chip Zdarsky um, with, again, colors, lines, uh, and letters all done by Michael Walsh, who will be doing uh, that same job throughout the series. Um, so this issue basically revolves around uh, a fairly simple premise of a rock star in the 70s who is kind of, you know, feeling that uh, the genre is a bit out to pasture with the boom of disco at the same time. Um, and he's feeling particularly upset and angry that um, he feels like the band is not taking off. They're not getting gigs when they want just because disco is really, really blowing up. Um, but the main character is able to find a silver coin that when he strums it against his guitar, basically makes the music sound incredible and angelic and just wonderful. And they're able to perform a lot of successful shows um, and, and do a lot of great stuff. But uh, the main character is really just fixated on his desire of becoming a rock star um, and is kind of isolating his friends. Um, and it all kind of leads to a very twisted and dark place towards the end where um, his continued use of this mysterious silver coin uh, to play his guitar leads to uh, a pretty unfortunate accident. Um, now this was, a, I think, a very interesting decision to kind of create the story revolving around this one singular object, the, the mysterious silver coin. Um, and I'll be interested to see what other scenarios the silver coin will appear uh, in future issues. It seems like it's mainly going to be about granting desires, but in a kind of a weird, twisted, um, dark way that results in um, you know very terrible and sometimes fatal accidents um, or situations. Um, I, I found that the, the writing by Zdarsky is fairly solid. Again, someone who's also known for his work in, uh, in, in the superhero scene, working at Marvel and DC, but also as an artist, uh, and we talked about this in the last episode, uh, famously worked on Sex Criminals with uh, Matt Fraction. So obviously a very talented cartoonist as well as a, a talented writer. Um, and then the artwork by Michael Walsh, particularly during some of the more horrific scenes, um, and I won't spoil those, is, is uh, very well done. I think the, the art uh, definitely complements the moody horror tone of the entire issue. Um, so, Julie, what did you think about the silver coin? I liked it. Uh, very Twilight zone -y. Got a lot of those mm -hmm. kind of vibes. A lot of lessons learned to, yeah. you know, appreciate where you're at in life and to, you know, nothing is going to compete with your ability to work hard to get better. And sometimes you'll fail, and it's okay to fail. That's what I learned out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the artwork was beautiful. The storytelling was beautiful. And even when I when I first skimmed it, I could tell what the story. I could tell what kind of story was happening just by looking at the panels, and that was very yeah. very well done. The transitioning, because I, I noticed with the coin, the detail when he first gets it, it's closed, and then over time it opens up to kind of reveal, you know, itself in its own way. It's like, oh hey, yeah. this is what I really am. You can slowly see his descent into the madness with it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, um, yeah, I really like the point that you said where you can kind of get the entire vibe of the story, you know, before you even really fully read it, just based on the artwork. You kind of know what, what kind of 
horrific story you're about to read about um, is is gonna is gonna entail um, just by looking at you know the expressions and, and some of the the color work. Um, so yeah, I had a really great time with this issue. It sounds like you did as well. Um, and I ended up giving this one an eight out of ten. How did you feel? I feel good. Um, it kind of reminded me of Monkey's Paw as well. So I get. I would also yeah. say an eight out of ten. It's really good, mm-hmm. but it's predictable. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said, the Silver Coin, number one, start of a new anthology um, brought to us by Chip Zdarsky and Michael Walsh. Um, so with those two issues out of the way, we're going to kind of go in a round robin back and forth style where um, Julie and I are going to highlight some of the books that uh, we had a chance to read um, uh, kind of separately um, this week. Uh, from image and in my case from some upload oh my god um and in my case from some other publishers um that i'd like to highlight so uh to kick it off uh julie what what's a what's one issue that you read that you'd really like to to mention this week and i'll I'll kind of match with an issue that i read okay um i read made in korea uh it's I think I mentioned in the, in the last episode about Alex and Ada, about getting this humanoid droid that you purchased, and it, you know it yeah. kind of goes into that direction of existentialism. And I think this comic book is doing something similar because it is a droid that is bought for a family, and there. But there's something else to it that wasn't in Alex and Ada that's in this one, and I ca- I'm kind of getting uh, like iRobot vibes with that. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of curious as to how that's going to pan out because they usually don't do a family situation. They usually do kind of, um, you know, it's a partner to partner. Like, oh, I need an adult android. This is a child android. And that yeah. got me thinking also about um, the curious life of Timothy Green. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. I saw it once is, many, is many years the, is ago. Is that the movie where they, like, grow a child? Yeah, like a plant. Yeah, it's this yeah. childless couple that wants to have a kid, and I think this is the same premise with this one. It's just, there's a lot of similarities I'm able to pull from, you know, a bunch of other movies and TV that I've seen because I've wasted yeah. my life doing that. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, it's a good read so far. Um, the art, the artistry in this comic book is so beautiful. The colors that they use, there's a lot of attention to detail in their color use mm-hmm. and their transitioning, and the gradient, and I really did appreciate that. Yeah, and, and um, tell us again who who uh, made this issue and, uh, and that whole that whole scene. So the story is by Jeremy Holt, art by George Shaw, lettering by Adam Wallet. Awesome, and uh, um, any any final thoughts on the on the issue? Um. It's really well balanced mm. and it's artistry and it's storytelling it and it it kind of does like an a b kind of a plot line, but the a yeah. b's are are interconnected for sure yeah awesome um well, I got the chance to read uh the third issue of Radiant Black. This is a new series from uh Kyle Higgins, and I guess this is kind of his first series uh artist Marcelo Costa. Um, I've been following the series so far, and I read the first two issues. I'm a fan of Kyle Higgins, um, and it's clear that the series has a very, very key 
Power Rangers, Super Sentai influence, um, which is something that I really appreciate. Um, this issue is basically just uh, the main character, Nathan, um, kind of struggling to, to break his writer's block um, because as uh, we established in some of the previous issues, uh, Nathan is a writer who kind of abandoned his book deal and had to move back home and is basically trying to figure out what to do with his life. Um, but this particular issue sees Nathan really try and focus and, and you know, hone his writing skills and, and try and figure out what to do. At the same time, juggling with the idea of, you know, what kind of person do you want to be now that he has these new powers? Um, and uh, um, I, I think this issue in particular for me really kind of helped me connect with Nathan's character um, because when we first meet him and, you know, he's broke and he's having to deal with all of these insecurities, it's, you know, it's stuff that I'm sure people have gone through before, but it's nothing new. It's not really reinventing the wheel. And um, I, I, while I enjoyed it, I didn't think that it was really original, but I think this angle of having Nathan be a writer and really kind of struggle with writer's block in a very organic way um, was just something that I, that I connected to. I'm sure, like I said, we've all been there. We've all struggled with trying to get a paper out or, or really send an email or something like that. And you just, you don't have the words to say and you procrastinate and put it off and uh, all of that stuff um, until you finally are able to sit down and really commit, which is uh, the point at which Nathan comes to at the end of the issue after kind of going through some super heroics and I think having a really somber moment of realizing this is kind of the person that I want to be. Um, another highlight is that we finally get the big name drop moment uh, since the series is called Radiant Black. Um, Nathan's friend Marshall is, is finally able to kind of put together the, the name Radiant Black after Nathan uh, mentions the name Radiant, which had kind of come to him in a, a daydream. Um, so yeah, I, I I still am really enjoying this series. For me, it's it's um, I, I describe it as comfort food because it's I mean, like I said, while I do love uh, indie indie books and and various books from other publishers, you know, I I came in reading superheroes and it's always um, kind of nice to have these uh, invincible type you know superhero books that. Um, really embrace the genre and it's like I said it's not reinventing the wheel it's just kind of a fun monthly read that I can come back to and and really relax uh, with um, so I ended up giving this one an 8.25 out of 10 um, I, I like I said still am enjoying the series interested to see where it goes and um, I find it very satisfying and Julie what else did you read this week I read uh, The Good Asian by Pitch Shut Tefenki, Lowridge, and Powell. Um, but yeah, so Made in Korea was definitely a, a bit of a sci-fi story. The Good Asian is more of a noir story. And I, I'm partial to noir, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks awesome. <laughs> oh, it's really good. Um, it takes place in the 1930s, 1940s, sort of when the internment camps were becoming a thing. And um, it takes place in San Francisco, and I happen to live in the Bay Area. So it really kind of... I, I So the little places that they go to, I know what they're talking about. And yeah, there's kind of alterations in the place settings and things like that. But when they, when, yeah. when they draw these big scene shots of Chinatown, I'm like, oh, hey, that looks, <laughs> that looks familiar. I know those hills. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there a couple of times. But, you know, it, it's a really good read. I... 
I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of mystery. There's a, and the protagonist himself, he's got his own little kind of personality. Mm. Um, it's almost brooding, but it's a good brooding, which I really appreciate because instead of just being emo about it, it's like it's it's um, constructive kind of yeah. brooding, and I really appreciate that as well. But yeah, no, the story's really good. Ten ten. I'm I'm eager to see what happens next. Wow, Keeps you on awesome. your toes. So it's, it's um, kind of like a, kind of like a, like a period piece noir story? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. And the well, color gradient, awesome. too, makes it feel like it's in the old times as well. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm like I said, I like that. I haven't had a chance to, uh, to, uh, to look at it. Just look at it, just like, yeah. Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Excuse um, me. Um, it looks yeah, it looks like it looks like it's right in my both in in film as well as in comics as well as in um you know books or anything like I'm a sucker for a good detective story. this one looks right up my alley. Um and I do think it's definitely definitely encouraging to see um you know, an, an Asian lead, an Asian protagonist in kind of the noir role, because usually that's more reserved yeah. for, um, you know, Caucasian men or that sort of thing. So I think that's that's really cool. Yeah. And they definitely tackle that issue in this. They tackle racism in this issue for sure. It's it's not just subtle in the background. It's, you know, front and center, which I yeah. think is, you know, a really good story because those are, those are the kinds of stories we hear about very much. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. you said, it's mostly a, you know, a white protagonist. Yeah, and um, and and it definitely sounds like you know that's a a kind of book that would, given that the title is you know the good Asian, um, and it sounds like it would, you know, possibly tackle those stereotypes. Um, and and I I'm, like I said, I'm looking at my copy right now, and I noticed that um, one of the covers, or at least the main cover, was done by Dave Johnson. Um, and if you're familiar with that name, Dave Johnson is a very famous cover artist in comics. Um, he's done a bunch of stuff, you know, on Batman and others. But one of my favorites of his is a, a series called 100 Bullets, which is like the most noir crime fiction story I know of. It's, it's an absolutely incredible series. I mean, Dave Johnson did the covers for every single issue. So seeing him here and doing a story like that, it's, uh, it's, it's really great. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the Good Asian. Sounds like you had a good time with it. I really did. I really did. It was it was a really fun read. It was an educational read, mm-hmm. in a way, because you get to learn a lot of the, I guess, the derogatory language that was used toward them in reference to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a promising book, and I'm I'm really interested into what's going to happen next. Awesome. Um, well, one book I got to check out uh, from Dark Horse um, was Black Hammer Visions number three. Uh, this is actually another issue brought to us by uh, Chip Zdarsky uh, with art by Johnny Christmas and colors by Dave Stewart uh, and letters by Nate Picos. Um, this issue is basically the same format as the last issue of Black Hammer Visions, which is creator and artist come in and tell a story, uh, usually an untold story, about uh, a character from the Black Hammer universe. Uh, This particular issue focused on Abraham Slam, uh, obviously before his time, um, you know, being trapped in the town um, that they're at at the beginning of Black Hammer. 
Um, and it really focuses on Abe's kind of struggle with retirement, given that he's essentially being replaced by a government-sponsored uh, version of his old um, superhero persona. And so this issue really is a character study on Abraham Slam, who initially kind of confronts the new state-sponsored version of uh, Abraham Slam. This state-sponsored version is called The Slam, uh, very clever. Um, and basically Abe gets his ass kicked and is sent to the hospital and um, really kind of struggles with his, his relationships given that you know he's retired and he had quit the superhero business and yet he still finds it in him to just keep going and really challenging this newcomer. Um, and one of the big twists at the issue, I won't go too much in it, kind of causes Abe to reevaluate his actions and really reflect on, you know, maybe I should have been more supportive of, uh, you know, this new hero. Maybe I shouldn't have been so angry and crotchety. Um, so, yeah, I had a really great time with this issue. I've really been digging the Black Hammer Vision series so far. Um, it's funny, the last issue, Black Hammer Visions number two, was also from a creator that we just talked about, Jeff Johns, and he focused on Madame Dragonfly. Um, and I had really enjoyed that one, so I was definitely eager to check out the next issue. Um, and like I said, it was, it was just a really great character study on Abraham Slam, a really interesting examination of you know, replacement superheroes and what that means um, for you know, for the older generation and kind of seeing Abe struggle with it was something that was uh, particularly interesting to me. Um, the artwork by Johnny Christmas was solid in some points. Um, I think it was a little weak in others. Um, I, I definitely noticed that he seemed to struggle with some of the facial features in some places. Um, and during some of the action scenes, it was a little bit um, almost choppy. It didn't look quite finished. Um, but overall, the artwork was fairly solid, um, definitely fluid when it needed to be. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely had a, had a really solid time reading it, um, and I, I would recommend checking out the, uh, the Black Hammer Vision series um, just to see what interesting creators are, are bringing new stuff to the Black Hammer universe. Um, Julie, what next? What, uh, what other issues did you get a chance to read? I read uh, Time Before Time mm -hmm. by... Uh, Declan Shavley and Rory McConaville, they were writers. Uh, Joe Palmer was the artist. Colorist is Chris O'Halloran, and lettering is Hassan Otsan. Oh, I'm gonna butcher that. Otsmane Elhau. Um, it's a it's another sci-fi one for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a time travel. If I if if I wasn't clear. Um. I really did like the angular styles that they used in this drawing, in this drawing, in their drawings for this mm. comic series. Um, it is a def it's definitely a another trope for time travel. Some you know, it's like a point where something bad happens and suddenly you're you know you're either in a position where you can't get out of this specific time and you're living having to live through it, mm. or you end up. Sort of like uh, Squidward Tentacles in SpongeBob when he messes with the time machine and he breaks it and he ends up in this kind of void. Yeah. That kind of you know, what do they call it? It's 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 a trope, but it's a problem trope. It's um, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called, but it's sort of like a monkey wrench, like a duex machina. Yeah. 
yeah. where it moves the story along because you broke the machine now. Now you don't know where you're at. This creates a problem, a scenario to work the characters out of. Yeah. And I think that's it, it's common, but it's, it can be done really well. And I think so far. Oh yeah, think Futurama when they go to the end of the Earth. Uh, kind of thing they go to the end of time but this here you don't know exactly what time they're at because something happened in the machine it broke because they're really good at telling you when they transition between time periods they tell you straight up this is a time period and then they live through it yeah. and then in, there's a point where you know they go they go to some something happens in the machine it breaks and they end up somewhere and the time period is just all, you know, pixelated and compromised. You can't even tell what number it is. Yeah. There's no sense of numbers at all. And I'm like, wow. And that's where the story really kind of starts to pick up. And that's where the comic ends. I'm like, whoa, what? They kept me hanging on. I want to know more. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's so far I'm I'm invested. I'm interested. Yeah. They really kind of hooked me near the end there. And then once the end happened, I'm like, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here for yeah. It. Now, now... Do you tend to like time travel stories? Because I, I, I can sometimes be, you know, mixed on them. They can be very hit or miss. Same here. I don't usually have a lot of time for time travel. Yeah. So to see a lot of time stuff happening is nice. Yeah. <laughs> kind of threw a pun in there. But, um, but yeah, no, the, it's a classic trope as well. Um, I kind of have an idea of what's going to happen, but because... There's also another background story on top of this, rather than just it being time travel. Mm. There's another layer of story on it that kind of makes it a bit. It, it gives it. It gives it the filling, the muscle. So the time yeah. stuff is sort of like the skeleton, and the other story is definitely the guts, and the real meat of the story. And that's what I'm really most interested in because it creates a lot of conflict. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Awesome! Awesome! Um... Yeah, no, I, I definitely was interested to, to, to look at this one because um, I usually only know that writer, Declan Shalvey, from his artwork. I, I guess I, I'm not super familiar with him acting as a writer, but it sounds like, you know, it's a pretty interesting story um, and, and it definitely had you hooked. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, very cool. Um, I got a chance to read... Uh, the second issue of a book from Boom called Proctor Valley Road. Uh, this was brought to us by uh, Alex Child and the ever-incredible Grant Morrison uh, with artwork by Naomi Frankes, and it was colored by uh, Tamara Bonvalain, also uh, absolutely incredible, with letters from Jim Campbell. Um, this one, not a ton happened. It really just kind of uh, followed up from the first issue um, where, you know, the big reveal at the end is that the uh, boys have gone missing and they had received their draft cards, uh, given that this story takes place in 1970 and the Vietnam War is still going on. Um, and the girls who had kind of driven them through Proctor Valley Road, where they had last been seen, are basically being questioned and interrogated by the police and they don't really know what's going on. and. Um, you know, basically the, most of the issue kind of focuses on them, um, kind of reflecting on, you know, the mystery of what happened and they're not really sure. And they're, they're just expecting the boys to turn up at some point. Um, but you know, we know that something a little sinister has happened based on what we saw in the, uh, in the last issue, but clearly there's some more supernatural stuff going on. Uh, there's a scene where they're all hanging in a junkyard and 
uh, strange letters begin to appear and they think they're on acid but it turns out you know everything's normal and, and things are just kind of very strange so um, the main character or one of the main characters goes to um, visit Proctor Valley Road to kind of figure out you know what's going on where are the boys why haven't they turned up and that's where she sees a bunch of strange stuff on the road including a carcass of a deer and you know uh, kind of these strange wolf creatures um, and her friends later turn up to save her um, but that's when you know each one of them kind of starts you know freaking out um, some of them are feeling dizzy some of them are seeing double some of them uh, start to become violently sick and that's when they all turn around to see uh, the mysterious landlady who had previously been mentioned in the first issue is kind of like this secret malevolent force and they're not really sure you know what's going on um, but this issue is is it's really cute um, I'd be lying if, if I said I, I wasn't mostly following the series for Grant Morrison uh, who's a writer that I absolutely love um, but it's 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 fun to see like this kind of uh, I call it cute mainly just because of the artwork, even though some of the material, like I mentioned, is, is actually kind of horrific. Um, but yeah, it's just a really fun kind of like period piece horror series with, you know, a group of teenagers and they're kind of trying to investigate the mystery. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. Like I said, it's not reinventing the wheel. Um, I kind of a kind of a standard script for uh, Grant Morrison, I, I, like I said, I, I don't see him pushing any kind of crazy psychedelic imagery or really pushing the, the boundary of the comic format. Um, but it's just, uh, like I said, a fun series to return to each month. Um, and that's why I ended up giving this one a 7.75 out of 10. Um, but with that, uh, Julie, what else did you get a chance to read this week? Um, I did read... Uh, I read... Uh, Helm Grey Castle. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it's definitely a D&D style game, style game, excuse me, style comic. Yeah. Um, the artist is, the artistry is nice, but I mean, the story didn't really kind of hook me very much. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't find myself too interested in what was going on. It's definitely not my cup of tea, but it is beautiful. It is really good. Yeah. I will give it that. They put a lot of detail and a lot of time into their work here. Mm -hmm. To the point where even at the end of the um at the back of the comic they give you all these little details about all the all the um the armor the locations the setting the maps so it's story by henry barajas mm -hmm. color artist is brian valenza penciler ramat handoko letter artist gabriel gabriella downey editor designer proofreading yeah um yeah, it's 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 really well done. There's a lot of there's a lot more detail in this than in the other comics that I read. You can tell they spent a lot of time really putting in all the work. Um, there's actually there's a there's a line that I thought was really funny that stood out to me because I couldn't take this seriously at all because it's 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 a drama. It's a D and D drama, and I don't take dramas seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's. I watched a lot of the old reality TV, like with Anna Nicole Smith, I Love New York. So drama in and of itself is just laughable to me. But there's yeah, a no, point I, where one of the main I, characters... I could never get into it myself, so you're, you're preaching to the choir. 
Yeah, I was uh, <laughs> I was really young, and my parents chose to watch that reality TV, those reality TV shows. So there was a point where I had no choice but to watch it, but I couldn't take it seriously. But there's a bit right here that yeah. says, "I promise, we'll kill something when I get back," and it's a father telling it to his child that's going to miss him. And I'm sorry, I just started laughing. Yeah. Like how, that's such an endearing statement. I promise, we'll kill something when I get back. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean it's 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 a good read if you're into that kind of stuff. But I mean it was just a lot of fun. Although I did like uh, where they included the um, Aztec, the, I guess the ancient Aztec society, and there was a lot of accuracies in its, um, I guess in its costuming, in its titles. That's like well, probably my favorite part was that because it's D and D meets ancient history, and I'm all for that. So I may just kind of oh. keep this in the background for myself to read the second one to see where they go with the Aztec culture. Yeah, no, I'd say I'd say check it out. Just kind of see if you're if you're still there's still an interest there in the second issue. Yeah, it, it's floating there. It's getting yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, I had a chance to read the seventh issue of The Scumbag. Um, this issue was brought to us by uh, writer Rick Remender um, with art from Francesco Mobili uh, and colors from uh, Moreno Dinicio, I believe is how it's pronounced, with uh, letters from Russ Wooten. Um, this issue continues the story of the world's worst spy who's an absolute scumbag i really i really don't know any other way to describe the series um but basically uh we pick up with uh ernie ray and his his strange band of misfits from central authority um basically fighting with these the best way that i can describe them is straw man versions of um like really aggressive political people on twitter which sounds like it might go off a little bit worse than it actually is, um, but I, I think it's it's an interesting form of, of political satire that Remender puts here, um, because this organization that they belong to, Moonflower, appears to be kind of a satirized version of you know the extremely vigilant crowd on social media that you might see. Um, and obviously, we're not going to get too political here, but it's it's a very interesting approach to see kind of Ernie play off these characters. Um, so after they kind of disband. After they kind of dispatch the characters um, who have come to attack them, Ernie is kidnapped and taken to the main Moonflower base where he's basically confronted with the uh, main leader of the, the group and she's kind of telling him about her plans to create a, a world of world peace, but one that's kind of run by groupthink. And uh, Ernie is very skeptical at first and, and, and feels that it's kind of similar to the guys that he had fought in the previous arc, uh, Scorpionis, which was kind of the ultra right-wing, uh, you know, pseudo-fascist group and basically saying that, you know, their tactics are, are a bit too controlling, a bit too assertive, and she's kind of firing back saying, you know, central authority doesn't really take any, any side and they're acting to basically just protect the status quo. And it's a, it's a really interesting back and forth that Ernie um, and the, the leader of Moonflower have. And then uh, Ernie basically is, is kind of like, well, I don't really want to deal with this shit, so I'm out. But um, the leader of Moonflower basically makes an offer saying, you know, if you serve us, I'll give you one of the uh, one of the girls that you desire that kind of tricked you into into going on to this moon base. Um, this issue this is, sounds like is... a political. I'm sorry. Go for it. Oh, no. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, this sounds like a political commentary from, like, the broad perspective and into oh, yeah. the personal perspective. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely is. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting to see Remender kind of satirize a lot of the, uh, a lot of the conversations. Um, there's some very funny lines, if you ever get a chance to read the issue, that um, kind of, some, some made me laugh. Like, one of them, I think one of the characters that Ernie has to fight um, <laughs> made me laugh. I think his name is, is The Signal... Um, and, and basically his power is just screaming at high pitched voices, uh, things that are very obvious that no one would disagree with, but he's basically just saying them so that people will like him more, um, which is, uh, I get it like a talking head on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very, a very funny straw man of some people who just kind of, you know, say very popular talking points to just, you know, get recognition, but they're not actually standing behind them. So. Um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely a, a, a kind of high octane spy thriller political commentary um, that I, I just I, I find it to be very funny. Maybe it's just my weird sense of humor, um, but every time I read an issue, it just it makes me laugh. It makes me smile, which is always nice. Um, and Rick Remender definitely knows how to how to make something uh, funny. So I ended up giving this one an eight point five out of ten. Just a very solid entry in the series. Uh, I think. Really, the, the series has only kind of had one hiccup for me, and that was the second issue. But so far, it's just been a really uh, fun, really enjoyable, you know, high-octane, funny read. So I definitely recommend it. Um, Julie, do you have uh, one more review for us? I do. I have uh, Hey Kids Comics. Uh, writer and artist is Howard Chaikin. Colorist oh. is Gustavo Yen. Letterer is Ken Berzenek, and the cover was done by Chakin and Yen. Mm. Um, it is it is a really good read. Uh, what kind of threw me was the artistry stuff. <laughs> I mean, because it starts off in like 1970, but I just I can't get over the style. It it's so I don't know. It just seems so messy. Yeah, Howard Chaikin but, um, was was pretty big in the 80s for kind of pushing a lot of the creator-owned stuff. He did you know books like Times Squared. Um, and uh, an American flag. This is the part of the show where I get to geek out about all the comics history I know, so just bear with me. <laughs> no, go for it. Um, That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, his his style is definitely, I'd say now more than ever, is this kind of an acquired taste because it, you know, it definitely was pretty revolutionary back in you know 1984 and 1988. But um, whether or not it's appreciated is is really up to the up to the reader. But it sounds like didn't really work for you yeah no it, it makes it kind of hard to look at but i get what they're going for mm-hmm. um but yeah those those shot with the eyes he had he asked he likes zooming in on eyes very much just a lot of eye holes and very dramatic scenes mm-hmm. where it says oh yeah you're gonna watch tv and then he's like in a minute and then it zooms in on the eye in a minute yeah and i just i, I couldn't keep myself together anymore i was laughing yeah but yeah, and then it jumps to like the '50s for some reason, and it's 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 a very self-aware comic about comics itself. I get, I kind of see it as like, you know, a history of comics while they were struggling, and it moves into that kind of era, and that's kind of where it began to lose me a little bit because I was getting sort of Mad Men vibes about it. I haven't really seen. Mad Men, except they're my parents, because they would watch it a lot, uh-huh. and I would just kind of pass through in the background and be like, oh, okay, yeah. these are 
you know, Madison Avenue, we're doing marketing things, but these are, you know, cartoonists. Mm-hmm. So it's a very self-aware story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the style, I guess you're right, it's going to grow on me at some point. Um, yeah, I, I think it just depends. Some people, you know, aren't a big fan of Chaikin style. Some people, it may take them a while. I think, you know, you're perfectly in the in the right for, maybe it's not there for you right now. Um, yeah. But it's good. It's real. It's well written for sure. There's, yeah, that's about, that's all I have to say on this. I'm. I don't know if I'm going to continue reading it. There wasn't much to kind of hook me and grab me. Yeah. I may out of curiosity just just kind of see where the story goes. I may get back into it, but I'm not rushing to see what happens next. Yeah, I I, I know. I was definitely. I kind of wish I'd checked this one out just because um I, this this is the second. Uh, volume of Hey Kids comics. Um, I know Chaikin had done an earlier one, and it kind of went on hiatus, and uh, now it's back. Um, and I, I'm, I, I, I'm a fan of like some of Chaikin's stuff. I think it can be very interesting, uh, very evocative, uh, certainly very controversial at points, and then at other points, uh, I think it's it's it pushes it a little bit too much. Um, but I, I'm, I'm. I'm definitely eager to check it out based on the description that you gave you know just about how it's kind of talking about comics history and, and everything there um so yeah interesting very interesting um my final book that i read this week um is a book that i will recommend but i'll, I'll put like a little asterisk after it um which is basically i i I would recommend this issue. I think it's well done, but I wouldn't blame you if you can't read it or can't find it because it's it's a bit of uh, an exclusive book. Um, so I got a chance to read a book called ENIAC Number no. Two from Bad Idea Comics, which is a new publisher that really got started uh, this year. They've kind of been hyping their stuff for the past um, you know year and a half or so because the company is basically made up of a bunch of ex-Valiant editors who all kind of left around a similar time and then decided to start their own comic book company and these are kind of the first books that they're putting out um, and uh, their their distribution method is, is very strange because it's they don't do any digital versions they don't do any trade paperbacks or collected versions you can only buy the single issues in participating comic book stores um, and I'm fortunate to be in a place where um, one of my LCSs uh, happens to be a bad idea store, as they call them, um, and basically got the first and second issue. So I checked out the first issue, thought it was interesting, asked them if they had the second issue. They did. And so I checked this one out. But basically, this one kind of follows up from the first issue um, where Falk and Fletcher have escaped um, from the basically wreckage of their plane and are trying to uh, spring uh, one of the uh, former Soviet uh, coders um, from prison to basically get information on how to stop ENIAC. Um, And after they break him out, he kind of gives them a whole spiel on the history of how they first tried to attack ENIAC, how ENIAC had kind of formed the secret underground Soviet community how it was just impossible to anticipate what ENIAC was going to do. Um, and yeah, it was just a really interesting read. Um, I was really glad that I got a chance to pick up the second issue. I wasn't entirely sure if they would have it available there, 
Um, but I, I do think it's a, an interesting alt history book. Um, it's hard for me not to to dock the score of this issue just because of how inaccessible it is. It's, it's hard for me to gauge interest just because people can't really read it um, unless you can find a copy, which is unfortunate because I, I would love to talk about it with more people. But like I said, it's just not widely accessible. And I do think it is a, a decent book. Uh, certainly interesting enough that I you know, went out of my way to find the second issue. Um, so yeah, I would probably give this one a 7.75 out of 10. I think the artwork by Doug Braithwaite and uh, Matt Kint. No. I think the artwork by <laughs> Doug Braithwaite and Diego Rodriguez um, is, is very well done. Um, I'm a big fan of Doug Braithwaite. Um, and... Uh, uh, you is know, it is it an ongoing series or is it um like it it just ended at two? It's it's a limited series. Um, it's it's only four issues, which is nice because you know if you're if your store is able to pick up these issues, you're not buying like seventeen of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's unfortunate that you know more stores don't have access to it. I guess you if you want to get a copy, you have to really like go out of your way to make sure that your LCS requests it and then they'll become a store and then they'll ship copies to you. But even that's not you know, a guarantee because sometimes they don't have enough copies. It's very strange. Um, but like I said, I'm just, I, I guess I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have had a store that's stocked the first two issues and hopefully I'll be able to get the next two issues so I can complete the series. Um, but yeah, like hey, I said- fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Um, but yeah, like I said, a solid read. Um, I'm interested in the third one. Like I said, hopefully I can pick it up. Um, but yeah, it's just I wish that more people could have access to it because I think it's a, it's a really interesting one. And I, I would be surprised to see if they didn't eventually at some point find a way to expand their reach because um, they are a fairly new company. So, you know, I can see that maybe they just want to limit to a couple stores. But um, if, if you want to if you want to have a laugh, go on eBay and look up some of the prices that they've been putting out for uh, copies of ENIAC 1 and ENIAC 2. They are way too high and it's ridiculous that people are just, you know, reselling them at ridiculous prices. Um, but, well, know. like 40, 50 bucks? Yeah, no, I saw one copy of um, ENIAC go for like $100 for a first printing Whoa. of issue number one, which is insane, you know, for a new publisher. But it is what I it guess is. it's trying to get on the ground floor. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's it's beating a lot of speculators, I guess. Um, but uh, with that in mind, um, let's move on to our top three books of this week. Um, Julie, did you have any particular top three books of this week that you felt strongly about uh, that you'd like to share? Um, the Good Asian, definitely my number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number two, Made in Korea, and my number three is Geiger, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, no, my uh, top three for this week, and number three, I had Radiant Black. Um, just, like I said, super solid series, and I'm, I'm having a fun time uh, with this, this superhero story. Um, number two was a, was a three-way tie between uh, The Scumbag, Black Hammer Visions, and Proctor Valley Road. Um, I just I couldn't decide between those three which one should be number two. So you all win, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then at number one, I had uh, the silver coin. I, I really had a fun time with that one. I was actually debating yeah, that whether or not good. to put the silver coin or Geiger as my number one. 
just because both of those I thought were really stellar. Um, but the silver coin won out, so I guess an honorable mention goes to uh, Geiger number one. Um, yeah. And um, I know we didn't really get a chance to, to dive into this issue, but I'd also like to give an honorable mention to Noctera number two. Um, that's a new series from Image from Scott Snyder, Tony S. Daniel, uh, Tomu Murray, and um, letters from And World Design. Um, like I said, fairly new series, kind of just revolves around the big elevator pitch of, you know, what if the sun went dark and these characters are forced to live in a, a sunless world and our main character is kind of like a, a transporter who basically rides around a, a truck and transports people to safety and in this particular issue they have a new cargo that's been trying to get um, to a, a sanctuary because they believe that they have solved a way to uh, basically get the sun back um, and I thought it was just a really solid read uh, I like Scott Snyder sometimes um, and uh, and I would definitely recommend checking it out um, but yeah um, Julie did you have any issues that you weren't particularly fond of that you'd like to put under the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. Well, the thinker would probably be the bus, but mm-hmm. I'd have to say the um the uh, Hey Kids comics one. That one I'm just kind of like, mm. yeah. I don't know. I I'm not even certain where the direction of the story's going either. Because it's just kind of floating back and forth. I didn't know what was going on between like a series of two characters. Just it was like a, it was a set of two, maybe four times over, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just gonna <laughs> let that. The bus is there. It's the mechanic. It's gonna be under it. I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I briefly flipped through it, and it looks. It definitely looked pretty scattershot, even for for Howard Jakin. Yeah. Um, uh, I will yeah. say with the silver coin, I um I was first drawn to it initially, like just upon looking at it. Mm-hmm. I used to work at a uh, punk, like a not a steampunk, but like a cyberpunk uh, nightclub in yeah. downtown San Francisco. I used to make pizza there, and you know I'm familiar with the bands that used to play there. I attended a couple of their events uh-huh. because I was an employee. I got to go for free. Mm-hmm. So and you know also the kind of people that would walk through there, people. You know, I, I we worked the Folsom Street Fair. I worked at a couple of times, and there was this one guy. I'll never forget him. It was awesome. Just straight up head like he had a gimp mask, a t-shirt, pants, shoes, socks. Straight up pictures of buttholes. Oh wow! And his oh, wow. mouth hole where the zipper was at. Yeah. It was just a butthole that he had to unzip and order his pizza. Wow! And I'm like, oh my god, this is great. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> intense. I'd run if I saw that. But it was my job. He yeah. just wanted some pepperoni pizza. I'm like, yo, I got you. I've met drag queens. There was, I can't remember one of the one of the drag queens I met, but she was like kind of famous. She was like a like a B list. Oh, okay. um, yeah. She dresses in like the nuns and like the the. It's not satanic. The opposite is satanic. Think of like if the Virgin Mary was decked out and like. Oh. Gold and sparkles and shit. I'm, I'm surprised like, no that's one the kind was of drink. like that's super sacrilegious. I feel like the, the not Christian not in San Francisco. Like, so. Oh yeah, but yeah, San Francisco. So yeah, yeah not in San Francisco, man. That anything goes. Yeah, that's true. But yes, yeah, so, <laughs> so reading the silver coin, I can almost definitely figure out the club that they were playing at. Yeah, like oh, I probably worked at a club like that. 
Yeah. Cool. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, drugs, dancing, it's all there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, no, I didn't have, I didn't really have a biggest stinker this week. I guess the weakest issue for me would just be ENIAC number two. Again, not a terrible issue by any means, but just not the, the best one of the bunch, um, at least the, the bunch of comics that I read this week. Um, and again, That I sounds still... a little underwhelming. I'm sorry, that sounds a little underwhelming. It's such a, I guess it's a hard to get book, but then when you do yeah. get it, the story's like, eh, it doesn't really, doesn't really feel, it doesn't seem to feel worth it to go out of your way to get a book that's eh. Yeah, I know. I mean, it seems to, like, the, the two people that I've had a chance to speak to about ENIAC that have actually gotten a chance to read it have said, you know, it's interesting, it's solid, but it's not breaking down any doors. And it's like, you'd think for a book that's so hard to find, just like you said, you'd want it to be a little better. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm interested enough in the story that I'm like, I want to finish it, right? I only have two issues left, might as well. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's, you know, sometimes a little disappointing that it's like so hard to find. It's not even that great. Um, but yeah, no, like I said, not terrible, just not, not, not great by, by any fashion. Um, but with that, uh, that is the end of our show. Come back next week when we will be talking about more independent books. Um, and as always, uh, you amazing humans out there, thank you so very much for listening. You are the reason why we do this. Visit campsite.bio forward slash notarobotcomics to hear all of our episodes on nearly any podcast platform. And patreon.com forward slash notarobotpodcast for the exclusive content that we make for our patrons from all of our offerings. Kids Corner, Real Talk Movies, TV, and more. Again, just starting at $1 a month. And with that, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time, be good to each other, and don't be a robot. Deuces! Just have a little bit of